The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Asian markets track losses in the U.S. with the Dow posting the biggest declines as strong corporate earnings fail to offset renewed virus worries. Netflix shares plunge in extended trading after the streaming giant reports a sharp slowdown in subscriptions as the pandemic winner loses some of its shine. Gucci owner Caring joins the luxury revival as first quarter sales top expectations and bounce back above pre-pandemic levels with strength in Asia offsetting weakness in Europe. And Derek Chauvin is found guilty of murdering George Floyd as the former police officer is convicted on all counts. US President Joe Biden calls it a giant step forward in the march towards justice in America. It was a murder in full light of day and it ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see. It's systemic racism is a stain on our nation's soul. Europe's new football Super League is in tatters after all six English Premier League teams announced their withdrawal in the face of intense global backlash. Very good morning, everybody. Let's have a quick look at the Roche numbers then. So the headline on the first quarter earnings report, Roche delivers a solid set of results in the first quarter. Um, let's take a, a look. First quarter sales coming in at 14.93 billion Swiss franc. The uh, group says first quarter sales and diagnostic sales of 4.3 billion Swiss franc vis the 2.9 billion Swiss franc in 2020. Do bear in mind as we look at these uh, first quarter earnings that we are doing quarter on quarter comparisons with a period where we saw obviously significant impact from the beginning of the pandemic related lockdown. So Roche basically confirming the outlook on 2021. Um, so we've got a few headlines. Let's get out to uh, Juliana who can tell us a little bit more about how this company is doing. And I think Juliana, one of the things that we all are aware of with Roche is they came off the boil somewhat in share price terms and they're still struggling a little bit to get back to that recent all-time high in 2020. Um, you're coming through these numbers as we're coming through these numbers. How are they doing? Well, so for Roche, the overall story here for investors is to what degree they're going to be able to offset the impact from biosimilars emerging and threatening the sales of some of their key drugs. And today from Roche, most importantly for investors, they have reiterated their outlook for 2021. Back in February, when they delivered their full year 2020 results, they gave an outlook saying that despite the continued strong impact of biosimilars, sales are expected to grow in the low to mid single digit range, core earnings earnings expected to grow broadly in line with sales, and Roche expects to increase its dividend further. So today they've gone ahead in April and reiterated that 
outlook. Now, Roche has been very active in the diagnostic side of COVID-19, so providing more than a dozen different diagnostic tools. They were right out the gate with a test to be able to catch COVID-19, and now they've, of course, added to that with a suite of products, and they continue to offer those. Um, the CEO, Severance Vaughn, today in the results, uh, offering the commentary that in 2021, they remain committed to the fight against COVID. Uh, the uptake of our recently introduced diagnostic tests and medicines remains strong, while we continue to see the expected impact from biosimilars on sales of our established medicine. So again, the story remains around that impact from biosimilars and whether they'll be able to offset it with drugs in their pipeline. But today's results, solid from Roche. Steve? Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for that, Julian. The share price of ASML, which is the maker of lithography machines, I might have mentioned once or twice in my life as well. Do you know what ASML stands for, by the way? Advanced Semiconductor Material Lithography. God, you took the words out of my mouth. I was just about to say that. <laughs> it would have been a little bit of a curveball on a Wednesday morning. By the way, good morning, chum. How about are you? Very, very good morning. Thank good, you very good, much. Good, yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, the share price of ASML over the last five years. Mm. So we talk about all these more trendy technology companies, you know, the, the, the stay-at-home plays, the, the streaming companies, and we'll spend our fair amount of time talking about Netflix a little bit later on. Mm. The share price in ASML, as I've started the sentence three times, a bit like Ronnie Corbett telling one of his stories, mm. uh, is quite... Who's Ronnie? If you don't know who Ronnie Corbett was, then shame on you. Right, quite astounding move, uh, the share price of ASML over the last five years. <laughs> mm. It started off at 80 euros anyway uh, in uh, 2016, about this time in 2016. It is now 512 euros. I mean, it is a hell of a good move for a company which pretty much came to being in its current form in 2013 as well. Anyway, I, I've talked enough about the background of the company and how well the shares have done. In fact, this year, by the way, they've already put on 29%, so a really strong performance uh, given what we've seen in the semiconductor sector. They say they now expect revenue anyway, growth towards 30% in 2021. I don't think that's one of these transitory effects that central banks are telling us about. 30% in 2021 compared with last year. That's what uh, uh, Peter Venning's talking about, the chief executive and president. Huge uh, numbers there. Expect second quarter revenue between 4 and 4.1 billion euro with a gross margin. I mean, gosh, there's a lot of companies out there would love this gross margin. 49%. R&D costs of 650 million euros. SG&A costs of 175 million euros. They intend to cancel the remainder of the shares repurchased. Uh, ASML purchased shares in the first quarter of 1.6 billion euros. So again, a company that's throwing off cash, great margins, great place to be in, semiconductor squeeze at the moment. The people who produce their lithography machines that make the semiconductors yes. Yes. Um, doing very well. Let me just see if I can pull out one more line for you. Um, again, gross margin 53.9% first quarter. Again, they're talking about more tempered gross margin going forward as well. What would you like to say? Well, I was just going to say, it doesn't get any sweeter because what you've got here is a business with a terrific moat. ASML has consistently reinvested in its technology. And now I think it is probably one of the only companies in the world that is able to um, offer extreme ultraviolet lithography machinery. Which is our favourite word in English language, it's lithography. Un un unbelievable. <laughs> um, but the fact that they are on the leading edge with this extreme ultraviolet technology it's right not... now means that they have a very deep moat and they are able to offer product which is unmatched almost anywhere else in the marketplace at the moment. So, you know, as you look at the multiples, there will be those that say, well, can they justify the multiples? Well, but what, where, they've, yeah. what they've now got is a market environment that is also incredibly sweet 
for the sale of the machinery that makes the products, particularly when the Americans have just said they're going to spend 50 billion helping their tech industry, uh, uh, and the Chinese have said they're going to spend 150 well, billion helping say, their tech, their chip industry. They're not Chinese, and I don't mean <laughs> to be to stoke up all this trans-Pacific rivalry or global rivalry, but the fact of the matter is people are yeah. looking at their supply chains and are looking at the security of their supply chains. And actually, we know that more Euro US and Western players now are beginning to see, is there an alternative to actually having a Chinese supply chain? I'll just go back to your original point about valuation, if I may, because I think you made, once again, an excellent point to start right. the show off, Mr. Carl. Oh, thank you. I know, no, really, really, really very good. Um, because we talk about Dassault System a lot, you know, right. and about the great place that uh, Bernard Chalet's group has, a great European technology company, but trades at a big premium to the sector, i.e. Dassault trades at 44 times uh, mm. forward price earnings compared with an industry at 21 times. So I've just run the slide rule over the same metrics, which on ASML on the back of what you just said. Mm. And the fact is, guess what ASML trades at compared to a sector that trades at 24 times? 44 times. So wow. Dassault and yeah. ASML, completely different companies, but both technology focused, big European technology companies that are doing really, really well. Mm. Both trades at a huge premium to the broader sector as well. So you're absolutely right. You have to pay a price, but you get a great product. Oh, that's it. Okay, for more on ASML's results and the uh, outlook from global chip makers later on, we will speak to Jos uh, Festig, who is a senior equities analyst from uh, Insinger Gillison. That is coming up at 7.30 CET. And that's very interesting because I didn't have that on my guest list. Okay, let's move uh, on. Yeah, no, that is. I'm looking forward to that conversation because, I mean, this business is now moving into there's a, there's a lot of people who are moving out of their traditional lines here. And I know this business is moving into memory chips, but we, we talked about Intel getting into the autos market. Didn't yeah, we recently? yeah, well, it's the other side of the coin of how mm. tough the chip shortages are. The fact that there are mm. a whole wealth of companies, good companies, who are trying to fill that space. All right, look at this, everybody. Asian markets. Interesting. Look at that. Shanghai Composite is up two-tenths of 1%. The Nikkei, which Jeff was pointing out yesterday, is having a really tough time. A lot of people very excited about what's going on in the Japanese market. Well, I'm afraid it's had a couple of really big drubbings the last couple of days, including today's session where we were down 580 points. The Hang Seng is down 525 points. The ASX uh, 200 down 0.7 of 1%. Let's move straight on to the US markets because... I think we've got to be really careful here. And the reason why I say that is because too many times, too many pundits, too many journalists, too many experts have said, oh, look at this two-day move or one-day move in the US markets. It's a sign that everyone's getting really concerned about economic recovery. They're really concerned that we're overdoing it on the valuations. And don't get me wrong, I understand that point of view. But is there something going on here? Uh, is the market going, going for the bait when actually there's something else going on? And I wonder, I wonder, again, I don't know. I'm just putting the question out there. We've had a two-day decline. First time we've had that on these US markets since late March. It's only a month. But the fact is we haven't had decent-sized declines on the Dow, S&P and NASDAQ for two days in a row for quite a while. So what's happening here? Is it, as I read this morning, that people are concerned about the travel and leisure stocks? They're concerned about the likes of Goldman's, which was one of the decliners in the Dow, which I think it was, yeah, 74 points off the Dow uh, in yesterday's session. Is it about the fact that the Treasury yields have come in and as such the valuation premium that was put on the banks in this rotation is coming off the boil a little bit? Or, or and I'll just chuck this out there again, I don't have any answers for you. Or is it the fact that people are recalibrating, getting the positioning ready ahead of what is a monumental earnings season? Where, let's face it, US earnings are expected to grow year on year 
25%. Again, I'm just giving you two sides of the coin. I don't have an answer for you. Let's have a look at the banking sector as well uh, and what it did in the previous session. So there you go. We were down 3.5% after a three-month rally, which was, of course, about 13 14% now, about 10.4%. Let's have a look at the airlines. Again, I mentioned travel and leisure. Uh, United Airlines, big decline there, 8.5%. Did you see British Airways' zone yesterday? I'm sure you did. ICAG, big lucrative routes. We know New York, London, uh, but also uh, London, Delhi, and London to Mumbai. Uh, and now there's a travel restriction coming in between Britain and India um, coming on Friday, 4 a.m. local time here in the United Kingdom as well. And so a lot of those lucrative routes again very, very lucrative routes have been taken off the table. So people just a little, look, look, the vaccination program in the United States has been going great guns, but there are concerns about infections, about various strains, about double mutant strains. I keep hearing these strange phrases as well. So a little bit of uh, heat coming out uh, of this sector, as you can see, three and a half percent down for uh, Southwestern Airlines as well. Would you like to look at the Russell 2K? I will show you the Russell 2K. It, it fell two percent in session yesterday. Um, second negative session in a row. Well, I've kind of said what I've got to say about the, my concerns about getting too exuberant about the market declines if you are someone who wants to see uh, a new entry point as well. So, so, Karen, why don't we bring you in? I know Jeff's got plenty of time as well. What do you think we're seeing in the markets? Steve, you pose a couple of different ideas there around rates. And, you know, if there is fatigue in the market around the rate story because we have reversed, that should be a positive catalyst for tech technology stocks, but it wasn't. So you asked what's going on in the backdrop. Well, I think investors have very much just driven this market aggressively higher, particularly during the month of April, but it really lot this started earlier this year and it's just kept on going. And it's not just on the US markets, on the Dow, the S&P, but also in the European markets. If you take a look at the FTSE, it's been an incredible run during the month of April. Same story too for the DAX. And we've effectively just reversed off some of those very high ranges that we've acquired very, very quickly uh, over the space of this year. So uh, to have a natural pause in markets, I think that's welcome at this stage. If you take one other stock out there, I mean, Apple, this is one that investors have been driving very hard in the lead up to earnings. Big announcement yesterday on drivers for the revenue side, yet the stock was uh, not moving to the upside. So what is going on again? Investors are waiting for the earnings numbers. They're not uh, content to look at the sales or the revenue print. They want to see what the earnings actually look like at this point, which is the proof in the pudding, as we've mentioned before, around valuations. You know, the other big story around Netflix. This is a big technology name. It might have a read across to the technology sector, but it's typically a volatile stock anyway. It uh, delivers very real numbers and can typically move around very aggressively on reporting days. So I don't know if you can read too much into that. I think the broader thing is that we are witnessing a market that is just showing a little bit of fatigue and waiting for some evidence, which, you know, I've got to say, given how many question marks have been about how far we're moving from fundamentals based on valuations being stretched, that is certainly welcome news at this point, Jeff. And that's the issue, isn't it? What, what's already in the price at this stage? And I think, you know, we keep getting these um, investment banks uh, dropping their more negative outlooks uh, on the market um, into the, p- the public debate. And, and I think, um, I don't know, we all looked at it, I guess, the Bank of America uh, analysis where they thought the S&P could slip back to 38,000. Uh, or sorry, 3,800. Um, and we've come off the March 2020 lows on this big wave of liquidity. And here we are, we're sat with the investor having to make a very interesting decision about how much is already 
priced into the market at this stage. And the um, information we keep getting around the virus isn't really helping. I mean, India has a terrible spike in cases. Steve, you were talking about uh, the Nikkei. I think what's spooking the Nikkei is, again, the threat that we're going to get. Um, emergency measures back in Japan, possibly Tokyo and Osaka at this stage. And that's got people worried. And it was notable, I think, in that decline yesterday in the States that it was largely those um, companies that were perceived as beneficiaries of, of the opening up of economies that were the ones that led us lower. Yes and no. Uh, all of you, I mean, you, yeah. you but I, I, for once, I can't argue either of you. It's really a shame. But but I think also, I think it was across the board a little bit. But I think it was a lot of the fashionable stocks mm. uh, have come out of vogue a little bit. Well, fashionable sex, like, oh, let's all get back into the Russell 2K because it's been unloved for a year. And that, that fell aggressively yesterday. I, I mean, we haven't mentioned SPACs as well uh, and the influence of, of some of these, again, trendier investments. We, quite frankly, are, are getting some really negative press. Rightly so, by the way. Um, th- there are some good SPACs out there. There are some great people who have created some great products but let's face it it's it's been a little bit of a gold rush hasn't it and as uh, i've been pointing out and you've been pointing out for quite a while you guys as well there's a, a, a perhaps a mismatching incentives between the sponsors of SPACs and the investors in SPACs in many ways as well so a lot of that heat count so what i'm wondering as well is is there anything that's coming out of the trendier areas the SPACs of this world that actually may have a, a little bit of a domino on broader sentiment as well. Because one thing that the central banks have been very keen to say is, oh, well, it may well be there's some elevated prices in some part of the market, but we don't believe, by the way, that markets are in a bubble or that we're seeing bubbles. Well, you don't need, this is the point that history tells me, that you don't need bubbles everywhere to create a spiking of the, where the bubbles are to create a downdraft for the rest of the market. Yeah, it's a good point around this rotation that we've seen in the market, Steve, towards growth. And you know, why is it not working at this point? Why are we effectively seeing uh, rather you know some of these concerns around these quarters of the market around reopening? The economy should be growing rapidly at this point as we wait for this vaccine rollout. We've seen an element of that are in the U.S. markets, but we're waiting for it elsewhere. The problem is that we've now, as a number of commentators are looking at, got leadership around just a handful of names. I mentioned Apple. It hasn't been alone in the market moves in recent weeks. You've had the likes of Microsoft moving. Tesla's had a, a huge amount of appetite as well, and Amazon, which potentially suggests that the market is now concerned about what's taking place more broadly. There have been you know, worries around variants. There have been concerns about the valuations now in some of the, the beat-up areas of the market that have quickly recovered some of that lost stock market action, but yet are still waiting for the earnings to come through. So I think perhaps just a little bit of concern is where we're sitting at this point. But you know, we've rallied so hard. And, and as we've seen in the past, you can't just keep on going up in a straight line. I think markets become more discerning when you, uh, you get to a point where uh, demand meets supply. And I think, you know, as much as I'd love to believe in the fundamental story around some of these SPAC listings and that investors are forensically analysing the balance sheets and are fully aware of what these businesses do, we know from the fact that companies that have similar names and similar RIC codes often go up a lot when the com- the target company also rises because people misallocate are because they don't actually look very closely at where they're putting the money. So I suspect that what we're talking about... and defamatory to all those, those investors what, who do all their work. What we're talking about is a structural issue, I think. This is not so much about, oh, is this, is this SPAC better than this SPAC? No. 
all of them have underperformed relative to benchmark indices over the first quarter, as have the IPOs, as we seem to have got to a point now where actually supply has met the availability, or sorry, demand has met the availability of money path, uh, to go into those. Uh, I mean, look, look where we are on the margins. 85% of wealth managers have underperformed indices over the last 10 years as well. So the SPAC trend, they, they're probably thinking no one will notice the difference <laughs> in performance. <laughs> Look where we are on the margins. I mean, extraordinary the amount of money that's currently been borrowed to pump up asset prices. No wonder the Fed's rather exacerbated about our concerns that inflation is anything more than transitory. There, I said it. Hello, Karen. We're going to push on and uh, take a look at what's coming up after the break. Uh, coming up, Netflix disappoints as the maker of Bridgerton, one of the slightly racier series released during uh, the cover of Lockdown, misses on key metrics in the first quarter. We'll discuss that next. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Netflix shares plunged as much as 11% in extended trade before pairing losses as the streaming giant missed on first quarter subscriber growth forecast by more than 2 million. Despite all that, it did beat on the top and bottom line. Netflix also issued weak guidance for the second quarter as the pandemic forced the closure of several productions. But the company stressed the second half would see a range of fresh content released. Let's get to Alex DeGroote, who is independent media analyst Alex, uh, nice to have you on board today. I want to start with the subscriber growth. The company produced 4 million new subscribers. It promised six in the quarter, and now it's guiding 1 million in addition in the, the next quarter ahead. What do you make of just how lumpy these figures are? Is it just purely down to the, the fact that people switched on early? They were brought forward because of the pandemic trends. They had not much else to do on the entertainment side, so signed up to Netflix. But now we're just seeing fewer additions because of that effect. Yes, I think that's a very good interpretation. Um, We probably thought when the vaccine was announced in November that companies like Netflix might suffer some impact in terms of memberships, in terms of subs, but it's coming home perhaps a little bit faster than we anticipated. And the guidance for Q2 in particular of just 1 million net ads is is way below expectations. So, So yes, I think there's an element of COVID catch up here. Alex, it's not just uh, the, the viewer that's desperate for new content at this point. There's been a, a series of you know, old content put forward during the pandemic, not a lot of new things to watch, and that's on series and movies. Netflix was talking about the impact of this production that has been impacted, but saying there is more coming down the pipeline. How crucial is this new content now to signing additional subscribers? Yes, that's a very good question. I mean, they hope that the second half will show better growth in terms of subs, they believe there will be an H2 waiting to their new production scheduling. Um, I must say, I'm a little bit dubious as to whether that will be the case. I think to some extent, uh, last night's numbers indicate that we're we're maturing in terms of this Netflix equity story, that probably getting that extra subscriber from now on in is going to be relatively tough. Don't forget, there's also a lot of competition out there. So I'm not sure I share the company's conviction 
that a stronger production slate will benefit them so much in H2. Ironically, we had a story yesterday, Alex, saying Netflix is the biggest winner since Disney kicked off the streaming wars. But of course, that was a preview piece to the numbers we've just seen, which perhaps suggests that Netflix is not the big winner now that we've got Disney Plus. Um, Just how important are the competitors to taking away subscriber numbers from Netflix at this point? That's a very good question. If you look at the breakdown by region, you can see that uh, Netflix has about 74 million subs in the US, and that is just trickling up. It's almost hitting a ceiling. So in that key US North American market where the competition is most fierce, the evidence would suggest that there's not much to go for in terms of new subs. They're hitting a ceiling at about 74. In other parts of the world, it is a different story. There is a better story for Netflix, for example, in Asia and in India, but certainly in the core home markets, it does look as though competition is beginning to choke off demand a little bit. Alex, I've just gone into my bank account, would you believe? Uh, not something I do very often because I don't like to see it. Uh, July 19, uh, 2019, I was paying nine ninety nine for my Netflix. And then last year, I was paying eleven ninety nine for my Netflix. Now I'm paying thirteen ninety nine for my Netflix. I need to say, by the way, I have a lot of other subscriptions as well. My, my family do it across the board. But the point is their ability to carry on increasing those prices do they have much ability? Because uh, and, and if they can't do it on the actual subscription, are they going to do what Disney did to me when I watched Raya and the Last Dragon recently and I had to pay a premium subscription for that, even though I'm paying monthly? Yes. Um, the tradition, that's a, another great question. The traditional rule here is that most households will have three streaming memberships. Netflix, probably Prime, probably Disney, but a combination thereof. Um, that will be put to the test in coming months as people's mobility improves post-vaccine, and perhaps that three number will be tested in terms of the household tolerance. In terms of pricing, yes, there will be, there will be resistance at a certain pricing point. And I think for a lot of households, they're probably nearing that point already. So if you think about it, if the, if the revenue model is about price times volume and volume is beginning to dry up a little bit, the, the pressure has to move, the onus has to move to price. But how much will consumers want to pay? Alex, while we have you, let me ask you about Apple. We saw the spring-loaded announcement yesterday, which revealed a new iMac, uh, an upgrade to the the iPad Pro, and AirTags, which was a a tracking device. I thought that was fascinating because of uh, the Internet of Things journey that we're now witnessing. What jumped out to you about the impact on revenue for Apple from this announcement? Yes, I think AirTags is very interesting. I do agree. It's a relatively low price point, so... I don't think it will necessarily move the the dial in terms of the revenue line. Um, In terms of the event in general, I would say the iMac Pro, um, the new version of the iPad, all of these will add at the margin to the abilities to sell more hardware. I don't see any of it really um, changing the equity story or changing analyst numbers, Um, but it does reassure us that that Apple remains at the forefront, forefront of innovation as far as hardware and design are concerned. But The big picture concern here for all growth investors is, can the growth from the big fang stocks continue post-COVID? And I'm not sure that either Netflix or Apple have given given us much confidence on that front in the last 24 hours. Alex DeGroot, lovely to hear from you today, sir. Thank you very much indeed for that. Alex is an independent media analyst. Well, I watched some TV yesterday, Jeffrey. I did. I don't, as you know, I don't watch a lot of telly because I am too busy doing other things. But I did watch something which is... 
Antique Radio Show. No, I watched something on, dare I say it, which was on Sky, which was an HBO broadcast. That's our sister station, isn't it? It's our sister station. So, yes, I'm 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 not paid to promote this, but it was called Mayor of East Town. And it was absolutely fantastic. And it had Kate Winslet as the lead. And I only saw one episode. The second episode was out last night after I went Mm. to bed. So I'm very, very excited. I can't binge on it because they're only doing one episode at a time, which I think is dastardly. Mm. So my usual question at this point is, I've been watching Ryan the Last Dragon with the family and Mayor of Easttown, not with the kids. Uh, Jeffrey first, what have you been watching? Uh, well, um, <laughs> what <laughs> have I been watching? Should we talk about my ambitions rather than what I've been watching? Because <laughs> um, I think the last movie I watched was actually The Man with the Golden Gun, which oh. uh, dates me somewhat, doesn't it? But it just happened to be uh, on, on the television while, while I was browsing. Uh, but I do fancy watching Godzilla and, um, uh, and King Kong. Seriously? You're Biden, Xi Jinping. Oh, oh, is Godzilla vs. King Kong. I don't think it is. But, well, there is a me- there's always a metaphor in there because both of them are meant to be working for mankind, but ultimately they Why end would they up. Why uh, each in, other then? Well, Xi Jinping, oh, Biden. Seriously? Both claim to be working for the good of mankind. Karen Cho, have you seen Ryan the Last Dragon yet? I haven't. You have to pay extra for that. I'm surprised you went for that, Steve. (laughs) I know. Well, to be honest, it was family movie night and we'd kind of done everything else. I know, but still reaching deep into the pockets. That's fantastic. Well done, you. Uh, Let me just push on. We've got some numbers breaking from Carrefour and uh, Q1 uh, 2021 sales. And the numbers are just hitting the tape. 4.25% bounce on like for like. This is a strong growth reflecting excellent momentum in France, according to the company, also revealing a 500 million euro share buyback. When it comes to that Q1 group sales print, it's at 18.56 billion euros. Uh, The share buyback uh, program in uh, 2021, it will be in line with capital allocation policy. It uh, says the uh, transactions to take place by the end of 2021. Confirmation of orientations and objectives of CARFOR 2022 plan. So talking about uh, where it is heading, the company is uh, going on to talk about those like-for-likes in France. Uh, They were plus 3.5%, including in hypermarkets, uh, a slightly bigger box format that we're talking about there. The accelerated rollout of food e-commerce growing 56% in the first quarter. That is uh, stunning growth if you talk about uh, what they're witnessing on the online delivery side. It was uh, plus 45% in 2021. So clearly a bit of a pandemic boost there. And as we talk about the first quarter, probably a little bit of a a move into those COVID trends at that point, but plus 56%, very, very strong. And uh, they say in France, the like-for-like growth is solid during the first weeks of April, including in hypermarkets. Uh, Clearly, there's still restrictions across France at this point, but the guidance still welcome at this stage. Uh, But that is the latest crossing from Carrefour. And you can see the share price. Uh, It's been a decent performer so far this year. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.